Welcome back to the All-American Savage Show podcast. I am your host, John Burke. And in the studio today, I have two very good friends of mine. Uh, in light of what is going on with Uvalde and the MSM and social media and every armchair quarterback under the sun weighing in on what's going on, um, these two friends of mine, who I'm going to let them introduce themselves because I don't want to give anything away, um, have some very insightful information or some perspectives that I feel need to be looked at and viewed and taken into consideration before everybody out there starts armchair quarterbacking, which is kind of too late, of what's going on in Uvalde. So with that being said, I'm going to kick it over to you two. We'll start with you first and essentially go ahead and introduce yourself. All right, perfect. Uh, I'm Pete. I've worked down here in Texas for a large uh, university in the DFW area for 11 years now, and I've got some insight on just breaching techniques and the active shooter training these officers went through uh, prior to this incident and hopefully can give some insight based on the timeline that we have to maybe clarify some things for people that don't really know what's going on. Uh, my name is Dan. I've been a police officer for over 15 years in two different states. I um, started as a school resource officer at a, a small county sheriff's office in Washington State. Um, I've been with a large Dallas area police agency for the last 14 years where I've spent the majority of my career as a door kicker working in anti-crime units. I've been a fugitive detective the last three years where I work in a uh, covert capacity and then with a tactical flare where we do the apprehensions. Um, in addition to that, I've been an instructor at our police academy and I teach a multitude of different disciplines, including uh, negotiation, de-escalation, conflict resolution. Um, I also have a certification as a crisis negotiator, which I have been the um, my unit's crisis negotiator the last couple of years. So I have a lot of experience in responding to barricaded persons, mm -hmm. dealing with these types of things. and. I was a first responder in two different active shooters myself here in the Dallas area. I also wanted to point out the fact that you were at the BLM protest where five officers were slain in that, uh, that was back in 7-7. Uh, yep. um, you were there on scene. You've dealt with many things like this. And I also want to go into, Pete, you also have military experience. I don't know if we hit that or not. But so for those, um, for those who are listening, first, before you pass any judgment on what's going on in Uvalde, just take into consideration the perspectives these two gentlemen have. Because for those that don't know, these are two of my best friends. And I go to them with a lot of uh, my questions because they, they're very, they're great critical thinkers. You guys don't rush to judgment. You're very logical. Um, they keep me grounded half the time, quite honestly. And um, with that being said, what I'm seeing right now on social media, in the media in general, it seems like everybody has their own spin on this. And it doesn't seem like any of the details are really clear and concise because you have CNN reporting one thing. You have Fox saying another. We've got MSNBC running all over the place to bring in these experts that are essentially crucifying these officers. So with that being said, I kind of want to kick it over to you two. And because we've already had these discussions, why I want to bring you two on. Um, Take me from the beginning of what's going on. We'll start sure. with Dan and kick it over to Pete. So in the beginning, the well, here's what, how it appeared, right? It, it comes out, breaking news, there's been a mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Mm -hmm. And initially it appears that officers arrive, they stage outside the building, mm -hmm. mass shooting occurs during an hour long time frame where officers are either incapable or refuse to make entry. So it appears at first that there is rampant cowardice. Um, this is a it's it's a reflection back to the battle days of Columbine um, Columbine High School shooting that happened in 1988. The standard operating procedure for officers responding to a mass shooting was 
call it a barricaded person, surround it, form a perimeter, mm -hmm. call SWAT. Mm -hmm. Now, in the 24 years since Columbine, there has been a push across the nation. Basically, every single officer in the nation has received active shooter response training since then. I can't say every single one, but basically every single one where the objective is to push in, stop the threat, stop the killing. So initially, this looks really bad. And officers across the country, including a lot of our friends, are, you know, they're looking at the first media reports and saying, like, hey, this is jacked up. How mm -hmm. could these officers do this? If there's children dying, like, our role is our life becomes second. That's what we sign up for. Our life becomes second. You push in. You stop the threat. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Here's the catch. First reports are always wrong. Yep. First reports are always wrong. Mass casualty incidents are incredibly complex. They're incredibly confusing. You have an investigation that's going to last months to look into something that took minutes because they are that dynamic of scenes. I've been involved in them personally, and I know how confusing they are at the time that it's occurring and then even immediately afterwards, we're trying to unpack some of those details and figure out what is it that happened? I was there, what was it that I saw? Because what I saw doesn't jive with what you saw and we were standing next to each other. Mm -hmm. So we're now, how many days are we? Seven days. Seven days, Seven we're, days we're right at a week. Yep. Um, so it's, it's Tuesday, May 31st right now. We're right at a week post-incident and we're starting to see some of those initial details Change. begin to die down. <clears throat> and I don't think Pete or I, either one of us wanna do any type of disservice to the victims or the families because there is absolutely nothing that either one of us could ever say to justify the loss of 19 children and two adults or now, the pain those families feel, which isn't something we would ever want to do. To caveat off of that, Dan, had, you know, Pete and I had talked about maybe not doing this right away. But the problem that I see out there is that it doesn't matter. There's yeah. a 24 hour news cycle. It's constantly spinning. People are putting it out there. And right now, because those officers are receiving death threats, they're right. having to get security from other neighboring uh, police departments. These officers, and once they talk more in depth on this, you're going to understand where we're coming from. But it feels like the thing I didn't want to see is, and you both know me, we've had very in-depth conversations. Like none of us are bootlickers. Like you right. two as officers know, it's like, look, if that officer's messed up, then he's messed up, he should be held accountable. 100%. Um, that's one thing I do appreciate about your two perspective. You don't have a bias when it comes to that. But in my mind, it's like, if the MSM is crucifying potentially innocent officers that were doing the right thing, it's not right. This needs to be discussed and talked about. And again, like you said, respect to the families. But right now, those that actually put themselves in harm's way are, I feel, being unfairly um, demonized. So with that being, go ahead. Well, and, and it's interesting because last night I was actually scrolling through social media and, and an acquaintance of mine, he's since retired, but what he does now after retiring, after I think he did 25 years active law enforcement, is now he does crisis intervention, post-incident, you know, outreach and things like that. And he actually went down to Uvalde. I want to say he got back yesterday evening and he's been speaking with a lot of these officers. Again, it's a small community, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and the only thing he put, and he, he wrote a very nice, very well-written, detailed post, um, basically saying like, hey, not everything's getting out of the mainstream media as far as what actually happened on ground. And these officers, they're hurting. Yeah. Because again, they it's a small community. They knew some of these children. They know the families of some of these children. Mm -hmm. And to have people sit there in the media and say, oh, these guys just idly stood by mm -hmm. and chose to do nothing. It feels like there's a lot of comparison between Broward what happened with yes. Parkland, yes. which we saw that. But now in a situation like this, let's start from the top. Yeah. Yeah. And if this was Broward, Pete and I would be the first ones to yeah. say that, that was, yeah. this was Broward. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a 
scathing article on the Coward of Broward excoriating him that went viral when mm-hmm. that happened. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, unfortunately for the body count, this wasn't Broward. Yeah. That's not what happened. Um, and so what Pete and I are taking a look at now, some of the details, some of the information that's coming out as uh, the investigation unfolds, which I know everybody hates waiting for the investigation. Yeah. Officers hate waiting for the investigation. The investigation takes time. Nobody wants to be patient when you've got dead children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear about, oh, well, it happened this way because. Mm-hmm. However, as the timeline starts to unfold, we've gone from looking at it and seeing the head of Texas DPS We've seen the CNN law enforcement analyst, Andrew McCabe, which I challenge you to find a door that he's ever kicked in his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we've gone from seeing law enforcement experts that are on the mainstream media that are paid talking heads that, hey, they may have acquired some really great rank in their in their career, so no disrespect to them necessarily. Yeah. However, have they actually been there when this is happening? Mm-hmm. Have they actually forced a door? Do they know how to force an outward opening metal cord door on a metal a frame? Metal okay, before frame. we get into yeah. that, yeah. let's talk that's it a, back. No, because that's very important because mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, even Congressman Crenshaw, Seal, had mm-hmm. something to weigh in on this, kind of demonized some people. We talked about that to where it's like, how long has it been since you actually kicked in a door? Because this, this let's start from the timeline from sure. the get-go. So let, walk let's me through that real quick because this, this is important because I feel like, Instantly, people are going to demonize the officers for essentially trying to keep the parents out of there. You didn't go in fast enough, yada, yada, yada. I'd read articles on MSN. I talked about on the podcast before. They said officers had made breach. They had a foothold. They took casualties. They retreated. Mm-hmm. That was in, that was incorrect. We're not knowing where yeah. that's coming from. There's everyone talking to the press. The press is trying to get ratings. They're trying to be the first ones to break the story. And there's a lot of lies that are coming out of this. So walk me through. The, this is the current information we've right. got. Yep. Now, I do need to add this. Every single person at this table reserves the right to change their mind if new evidence presents itself right. contrary to what we are being told. But you two have an accurate understanding of what's going on. So walk me through it. So yeah, this is all from the AP. So this is this is open source. And this is what one of the main challenges you have when you get into an incident like this where primary narrative typically wins. So the primary narrative that came out is, oh, they just surrounded and held and just sat there for 45 minutes while kids were getting shot. Yeah. You can easily Google this and look it up and see that it's clearly not the case. So as of right now, this is from AP. So 1127 a.m. video shows a teacher whom authorities haven't publicly identified propping open an exterior door. 1128, the teacher leaves to retrieve her phone, comes back into the same exit door, leaves the door propped open. It's not clear why the teacher was retrieving the phone, but DPS says they're looking into it. 1128, suspect crashes the vehicle. All right, so he gets out. Calls start coming in saying that some dude got into a crash. And he's carrying a rifle. That's at 1130. 1131 begins shooting at the school from the outside. Mm-hmm. So this would be the beginning of the active beginning shooter. Beginning of the active shooter. The beginning the of the active shooter is 1131. Now let's a. clarify, active shooter. Correct. Yep. Make sure you keep that in mind for those that are listening. Active shooter versus barricade. Right. All Correct. right, let's continue. Okay, so 1131 starts shooting rounds at the outside of the school. 1132 fires multiple shots at the school, then makes his way towards the propped open door. 11.33 a.m., five minutes after crashing, he enters the school and begins shooting into two adjoining rooms, classrooms 112 and 111, and he, as of right now, supposedly fired more than 100 rounds mm-hmm. at 11.33 a.m. Mm-hmm. So, spraying and, and praying and pumping rounds into two rooms. And that's initially when the majority of these children were massacred. Right. The, Very likely. The, still an active shooter. Active shooter, 11.33. Okay. 
Okay. And again, and cops still weren't on scene. Uh, but then two minutes later, so that's 11.33 a.m. Gotcha. 11.35 a.m., three officers make entry into the school through the same door that was propped open in the back mm-hmm. and begin looking for the suspect. Okay. Two officers received grazing wounds. 11.37 a.m., gunfire continues with 16 rounds being shot in total. And then it, it puts the caveat on there. It's unclear whom fired these shots. Mm-hmm. But they were engaging with the shooter at this point. Yes. This, this okay. is going to be a gunfight between, be a gunfight right, between the responding between, officers and the suspect. Right. So there wasn't anybody standing around for 40 minutes. They went in. They went in. They went in and they engaged. Okay, continue from there. We're talking, he goes in, he makes entry into the building at 1133, starts shooting 1135. Less than two minutes later, after the shooting started, again, you've got to sit there and think. They don't just have teams and piles of officers sitting at every school. I mean, they're getting there as quickly as they can. I can assure you every officer was driving as fast as that cruiser would go to get there. Mm -hmm. I, I can promise you that much. And 1137, yep, they get into the gunfight in the hall. And then from 1137 a.m., there's no more shots fired for 44 more minutes. So we can go through the timeline then. Okay, so from there, when they engage that shooter, and you said it was about 44 minutes, no shots fired. It's from 11.37 a.m. to 12.21 a.m. per the AP timeline, you have 44 minutes with no shots fired. Where was that shooter during that time frame? He was in the classroom, in the classroom. barricaded in the classroom with the outward opening door that officers didn't have the equipment to breach. Before we get to that point, so it went from active shooter scenario, Mm -hmm. the officers did what they were trained to do, he went into a classroom and barricaded himself. Now it changes. So the the protocol, when you're calling to an active shooter, Mm -hmm. is you move to the sound of gunfire, you engage with the suspect, Mm -hmm. and you stop the killing. Right. If that means that you kill the suspect, that's what you have to do. Right. You stop the killing. What looked to be a failure initially when you break down this timeline is actually an act of incredible bravery from these officers who did what they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. They put their own lives second. Mm -hmm. They responded, they pushed in, they engaged in a gunfight and they suffered wounds. As a result of pushing into the school, they did successfully stop the The shooting. So at that point he barricaded himself and then there were no more shots fired. For 44 minutes. For 44, 44 minutes. minutes. So that 44 minute period that the press and MSM and every armchair quarterback out there is saying they were cowards. They successfully engaged, closed with and engaged, made him barricade. I shouldn't say make him, but he basically retreated, retreated. because we've right. said before, and you told me this, I know this from statistics that when you, well, you tell me, when you engage yep. a potential shooter, what's the statistics on that? It's extremely high that either they barricade themselves and commit suicide mm-hmm. or they want to commit suicide by cop and they go out and they hail a gunfire. Right. It's it's usually one of the two. So normally when you when you actually return fire, they they're gone. They yep. went from actively killing other people mm-hmm. to either preserving their own life by yep. whatever means or choosing their exit strategy of right. how they're going to end their own life. Because he knows at this point if he's barricaded, he's not getting out of there alive. Or your other option is give up. Or to give up. Sometimes which, they give yeah. up too. Yeah. Which but does which does, does happen. happen. Okay. Does happen. That happened so, in Buffalo ten days ago. Yep. There you go. So with that being said they close with, engaged, he barricades himself, and that 44 minutes, no shots fired. Now we're talking about, we go from active shooter situation to barricaded. Correct. Walk me through the protocol of a barricaded potential shooter, or so barricaded shooter, excuse me. In, in a barricaded yeah. person, what you are looking for is, are people actively dying? Mm-hmm. If there are no gunshots that are going off right now, you are correct to transition from an active shooter protocol response to a barricaded person, barricaded person someone is inside of a room or a structure that you cannot access without forcing entry. Mm-hmm. There are a multitude, a multitude of different ways to force entry, but you cannot get in without forcing entry somehow. They're inside of a structure. 
you are outside of the structure. No one is actively dying. Right. At that point, what your goal is is to maintain perimeter, gather additional resources, come up with a game plan on how you're going to end this situation as quickly as possible, and you begin negotiations. Mm -hmm. Time after time, barricaded persons are successfully resolved through negotiation, stalling mm -hmm. for time, mm -hmm. taking enough time for them to calm down. Mm -hmm. Negotiating a peaceful resolution of something is a time is a waiting game. Right. A lot of what you're fighting is the biology of the suspect that you're engaging with because they're going to get tired, yeah. they're going to get hungry, they're going to have to go to the bathroom. Adrenaline's coming off. Angry to being uh, more tired and depressed and more in a more malleable emotional state, mm -hmm. you have to stall for time. Now, in this case, you have 19 officers that end up stacking in that hallway. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine how many more are on the outside perimeter, mm -hmm. outside of that room. You have 19 officers stacked in the hallway. Other officers that respond to the school evacuate the rest of the school. Mm -hmm. That's a success story. They didn't hold everybody sheltered in place mm -hmm. where they could potentially be engaged or wounded by gunfire through adjoining walls. Mm -hmm. Or if the suspect had been able to escape the room, they evacuated the rest of the school. So that it was not 44 minutes of standing idly by. During that time, um, I referenced the door, I think, twice so far. Yeah. And Pete's going to chime in on this. The types of doors that you find on, on classrooms, and Pete has been a university police officer for 11 years. I was a school resource officer, and forcing entry in structures is a key component of my current role. There's a huge difference between an inward opening door and an outward opening door. Structures in America, if you look at a residence, every door on a residence is an inward opening door. That means the mm -hmm. door opens into the room that you are accessing. You only find outward opening doors on commercial buildings and schools. Now this is because of fire code. Mm -hmm. Fire code, you have outward opening doors, so if there's a rush or a panic to get to the door, the door can't be barred. Or shut by people coming into it, right? The crush of the crowd is right. not going to bar people from opening the door. Also in classrooms, on top of it being fire code, it is an effective strategy for lockdowns if you have a class on the inside of a door to lock the door because people can't force in mm -hmm. an outward opening door. You can only pry it out. Mm -hmm. And that's also contingent upon the metal frame because the metal frame acts as a stopper. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> now, with an outward opening door, the only way to pry it open is with a pry tool and some type of sledgehammer to set it a key, an energetic breach, an energetic breach, yeah, breach that. explosives, yeah. which mm -hmm. the feds do not do. Federal agencies do not utilize explosive breaching. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I do not know. That okay. is a phenomenal question. I'm not a fed. Okay. Uh, I've uh, hit a lot of targets with a lot of feds, federal agencies. They use saws. Okay. And that's your, that's your additional option. Mm -hmm. So you've got a key, a pry, an energetic breach, or a saw to actually cut open the door. Mm -hmm. Patrol officers had none of these things. In addition, your Joe Patrol police officer in America does not have any type of training in how to actually force entry into a structure or into a room beyond, hey, I saw this on TV. Mm -hmm. The yeah. units that get that type of training are tactical units like Border Patrol tactical team, BORTAC, that responded to it. Mm -hmm. Bortak arrived at, we haven't checked the timeline, but I think Bortak arrived at 1215. 1215, yep. Six minutes later, there's shots. That timeline reads like Bortak starting to try to work on the door. Mm -hmm. The suspect fires three shots 
That's confirmed by 911 calls at the door, by 911 calls and the evidence that's been released publicly, the suspect fires three shots towards the door. Mm -hmm. This reads like Bortak trying to start to pry the door Mm -hmm. and going, oh, this is a metal corridor, a metal frame. We're not going to be able to pry this. We either have to energetic breach, Mm -hmm. which we can't do. We're going to have to cut it, which which is going to take a very long time to cut a metal door, Mm -hmm. or we have to get the key. Now, I do want to know, one, I would really like to see a picture of the door itself. Yeah, because I don't know if there's a window on it, if it's just a solid right. solid door, what you got, all what you that, got to work with. All of that, all of that matters. Mm-hmm. All of that matters. And again, trying to pry a metal door on a metal frame, it's not impossible, but I mean, everything is physics. So the part of a door or anything you're trying to make entry in, it's going to fail in its physics. So it's the weakest point that's going to fail. So typically like if it's a metal frame and a solid core wooden door, like you would see on a hotel or some older schools and things like that, typically when you get the halogen in there and you get it set and you get it behind there and you start to pry. What is the halogen? So halogen is a multi-tool, it's kind of a master key. Um, Firefighters use a lot, but it's great for entry teams because it's the it's the thing you see that's got like the hook on it, it's got the ads it's got like the claw hook on it okay. and you've got like a forked end at, at the at so it's the like base. a crowbar in a it's sense. like a crowbar okay. on steroids it's kind okay. of a multi-tool crowbar is the best gotcha. way to describe it and the thing is is when you're doing a pry door it's it's a two-man breach so you got two guys are now out of the stack your primary breacher is going to be the one that's going to be setting the tool and then you've got the you know secondary breacher the junior guy that's going to be the one actually hitting it and in order to get that adds that that angled uh, head behind the door you actually have to get one or two hits and then you actually have to adjust the angle so then it gets actually in and gets a bite behind the door to pull it and right. when pete is saying hit the halogen tool what he's saying is you have to hit it with either a sledge or a, a sledge or a slam hand. right because you're not getting that thing in by manual pressure oh, hell correct no. yeah. hell no. it's not just stick it up there yeah. additionally yeah. the person that's operating the halogen tool is standing right in the front of the door that was my next question zero cover yep. these rounds i don't know if you guys know this or not did these rounds penetrate that metal i don't know i don't know i don't know i will okay. tell you these rounds will penetrate sheetrock I've right. been there and oh, done yeah, that. yeah. We're they talking about a metal door, though. Rock. I do not know if the rounds that he was particularly firing. AR-15, 223. I probably, probably not. Probably you think not. so? Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think it would. Not. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where bet your life on it, but I mean, I don't oh, yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, when you start hearing that pop. But either way, yeah. Hitting, so either way, those guys know. conducting that breach initially are hearing these rounds hit the door, so they know mm-hmm. this is now a fatal fun. I mean, it's always a fatal, but this is legitimately, we got a guy who's got a gun trained on this entry point. Whoever's in first, good luck. Now, doing this type of pry, let's say it wasn't a metal core door, right? right. Like, let's say it's a wood frame door mm-hmm. on, a, on a structure. I have done that a bunch of times. And one, I will tell you that anybody who says they're not scared when they're doing it is, is full, full of shit, right? It's yeah. extremely scary when you're standing in front of that door because there's nothing that is protecting you yeah. other than just your hopes and dreams of making it home that night. Yeah. And number two, even with a wooden door, it may take multiple sets. So meaning you set the pry in there, mm-hmm. it gets slammed, you pry it out. Didn't didn't work completely. You made, you made some progress, but you right. didn't get it in one set. Reset, pry, reset, pry, repeat ad infinitum until you actually have that door open. Right now, during that, if those of us that are in this room are responding, maybe going like, "Okay, we're going to do this. It's a metal door, so you're going to get shot. You're going to get shot. I'm going to get shot. They may get shot, but you're probably going to make it into the door. Right? We're right. now like officer number five. Yeah. Now, priority of life is that our job? Hell. Yes, that is our job. Until you got a metal core door that that you set that pry 
and there's no movement. You're not getting anywhere. Yeah, there's no. no wiggle room or anything like that. No. I mean, the only thing you're really hoping for is that that locking mechanism, because that's typically what gives way on a on a wooden door. Right. Is that whole apparatus so, yeah. just rips right out with the screws and everything. And like on a metal core door, you're hoping that those screws give way, mm-hmm. or for some reason, however they put in that that hinge where it clasps in, like you're hoping that gives way and it just pulls out. Yeah. Um, but again hopes and dreams that, that that doesn't work yeah unfortunately and, and and that's one of the main challenges is that and then your other alternative is to try to take the hinges mm-hmm. which you can do that but again you're trying to shear off screws yeah and again you've got to get at least two of those down to at least get a get a weapon yeah. in the room and good luck same thing yeah you're 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 drinking for that cup of expendability and you're standing right in the front of that door yeah. like i still remember when i went through my first breaching training class i was sitting there and they said any questions I said I'm, I'm standing smack in the front of this thing that said, yep, welcome, welcome to being a breacher. Like yeah. that, that's, that's the reality. Embrace the suck. Um, embrace the suck and, yeah. you know, get your job done. Hey, get it done fast, get it done right. Cause that's one of the main things that you're supposed to be the master key to get into anything. Cause yeah. again, that's, that's the main thing is also knowing basics of construction to where we can get into anything. It's a matter of how quiet do we have to be and how fast do we have to do it? Mm-hmm. Cause again, are there things so, and, and the other thing in looking at just tactics and getting into rooms is, you know, you'll see all these places like businesses and things like that. They'll spend hundreds, if not tens of thousands of dollars on all these doors and all this stuff and all these, you know, um, biometric scanners and all this stuff. And then you look right next to it. It's like, that's a sheetrock wall with 18 mm-hmm. inch studs. Just go through it. Yeah. I could take mm-hmm. a fucking claw hammer and get through that. And I've now bypassed your yeah. multi million dollar security system. Right. And again, that's something that could be done as well. I mean, knowing that it's likely a school, it's likely cinder block construction, something like that, at least on those exterior walls. Yeah. I mean, could you get in? Could you get something done with a sawzall? Yeah, maybe. But again, it's the whole thing of. But this wasn't that, the situation. It was though, a situation so it's not that applicable, is, right? wasn't applicable. But I mean, it's one of those things where when you start kind of peeling back mm-hmm. everything that could have been done, and I mean, I apologize, but it's one of the things where we've been talking about this so much over the last couple of days, where it's like all these contingencies what ifs, yeah. and what mm-hmm. ifs, and just wanting to know more about what those officers had eyes on. Like we were talking about before this started up, is there's so many RFIs that I have, mm-hmm. which just. What did those officers that were actually physically on scene, what did they see that led them to it? And what information did they have at the time when they were doing this? Because it's really easy for a lot of folks to sit back yeah. with the clarity of hindsight yeah. and having an entire, like we have, yeah. you know, a minute by minute timeline of, yeah. okay, we looked here and this is what we have. And okay, now next minute, this is what happened. Did those individuals on the ground have that information? Right. Again, fog of war, we can, I can yeah. almost tell you Noise with a, battlefield, fog a high of war, degree yeah. of certainty, probably not. Mm-hmm. Let's address that really quickly. And yeah. then the, in the AP timeline we're utilizing, there is a, an emphasis on the 911 calls that mm-hmm. are coming in yeah. from the yeah. children, the children the room, yeah. which is, can I cuss? Yeah. <laughs> fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. It's just fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. I do not ever want to see yeah. that or deal with that in my career. Yeah. However, I've been, it's two active shooters. Mm-hmm. I've been in more mass shootings that have occurred in different neighborhoods of the city that I work in. Mm-hmm. And the officers that are actually on the ground, the only reliable way, air quote, reliable way to get 911 call information is to be sitting in front of the computer screen. Right. So I do want to clarify that real quick. That 911 call goes to a dispatcher. Correct. Correct. That dispatcher then relays the information to the officers on the ground. By computer. By usually. computer. So if those officers are in that building and no one's monitoring that computer, there's no communication. So Correct. there should be, you, you would get, think, there'd be an, a go-between to where one guy's monitoring the computer and radioing traffic. But that's not always going to be the case. Well, again, they're going to get radio traffic, but it's going to be very succinct communication. It's very, very 911 call says... 
the caller in the room says three shots have been fired. Right. That's all you're going to get over the radio, if that. Okay. And I want you to think about, now everybody out there has heard a feedback loop and somebody plays, takes a microphone and sticks it up to a speaker. Yeah. Now, when you are working in an active scene, now I'm not even talking about necessarily mass shooting. I can tell you about the radio traffic on July 7th, 2016, but yeah. like not even necessarily mass shooting. But when you're working in an active scene and multiple people key their radios up, yeah. that's what you get over the radio. It's squelching and it's feedback and right. it's very confusing. So, in order to effectively communicate, what we do is we restrict communications yep. to emergency <clears throat> traffic only. Right. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, additional 911 calls, because the news media is only publishing the 911 calls coming from inside that classroom. Do you know how many people would have been calling 911 that day? Mm -hmm. The whole city of Uvalde. Yeah. So 911 call information is not being broadcast to officers. They do not have that information when they are on the ground. In addition to which, even if we're talking about officers having information broadcast over the radio, you're talking about a multi-agency, multi-jurisdictional response. You've got Uvalde PD, Uvalde Consolidated ISD PD, Uvalde Just so County you guys Sheriff's know, they've Office. already pulled the stream on Facebook. Oh, wow. Uh, of course that they have. They pulled long. this off Facebook. Wow. Of course they did. We're still on YouTube. We but didn't they, say they Wow. No, no, okay. it's not. Yeah, yeah it's not y'all. It's... Yeah. They don't okay. want information getting out. You yeah. have you have a multi-agency response. Every agency has their own radio channel. Yep. And post 9-11, this was supposed to be fixed. Many agencies in America do not have interoperability of radio channels and radio traffic. Mm -hmm. Pete and I work for two different police agencies mm -hmm. that butt up to each other. I cannot talk to Pete on the radio. Right. July 7th, 2016, no yeah. I'm coordinating movement with officers on the ground, mm -hmm. on the street, that are in the same neighborhoods that we work. It'd be like everybody having a talk. different cell phone and not having each other's number. Correct. Correct. So exactly. So you have a breakdown in communications. You have a yeah. breakdown in command and control. It's great that everybody went there. Yeah. But when you look in the news media and they say, hey, U.S. Marshal Service deployed from Del Rio, 70 miles away. They got there to form a perimeter. Hey, hats off, USMS. Absolutely. That's right. freaking awesome. Thank you. But they have no way of communicating to the guys on the ground. Zero. They have zero way of talking yeah. to anybody that's actually on the ground mm -hmm. other than face-to-face -face or right. setting up some type of mass text thread, which do you really think there's time to do that? No. No. So let's go back to that timeline. It was 11.37 a.m., Last shots were fired. They suppress the suspect into the classroom. There's no more shots being fired. Mm -hmm. 44 minutes go by during which you're trying to gain the capability to go into that room mm -hmm. to kill him. Now, in yeah. that room, has the AP reporter not whether there were kids in there or not, or did the officers even know? They, so in those the rooms that he was barricaded in is the rooms where the killing occurred. Okay. The, the majority of the killing yeah, occurred. Okay. So yes, there were children that were in those rooms. Mm -hmm. The 911 callers of the children inside the room were reporting that they were I believe up to nine different kids that were still alive mm -hmm. in the room. Mm -hmm. yep. Was that information being filtered down to the officers on the ground in the hallway? Mm -hmm. We don't know. Right. Was that information being filtered to the incident commander? And where was the incident commander? By all reports, the University um, Uvalde Consolidated ISD police chief mm -hmm. was the incident commander on scene in the hallway, mm -hmm. which would not be the typical police response. Right. The incident commander would be removed right. in a safe location. Now, the safe location well, isn't because he's a coward. I was going to say real quick, give me the responsibilities of the incident commander. What is his role, What is his job and role function in this situation? Command and control. Command and okay, command and control. So he yeah. is basically controlling the scene. So you're right. right. So he should not be, or explain that to me real quick. Please. He should be slightly removed from it. We're right. not talking about 20 miles away right. in a bunker, right? right. Um, July 7th, the incident commander was Chief Hall and he was in the Emergency Operations Center mm -hmm. downtown. The Margaret Hill Hunt Bridge protest after George Floyd, 
the incident commander was Chief Castro, and he was about 300 yards behind us on the bridge. So, so essentially, they're mapping everything out, moving right. the units, communicating everything. So they they're have your 10, command control. foot view. Gotcha. They should be looking at everything from a 10,000 foot view. Gotcha. So they have to be dispassionate. Right. They have to be emotionally controlled. Yeah. And one thing that we know about Uvalde, which initially a lot of us in the law enforcement community looked at this, was, was this a lack of training? Mm. This was not a lack of training. Right. There was not a lack of training. Uvalde ISD hosted active shooter training mm-hmm. in March. And they used the high school. Mm-hmm. The police chief went through active shooter training as an incident commander in December. Now, in the police world, getting trained on something five months ago is very, very, very fresh when you consider the plethora of different things that we're trained on yeah. in the academy that you never see ever again. Right. So there is fresh, recurrent training. This chief was in a position of command and control where he should have been monitoring everything that happened, and it's incredibly chaotic. You have so many people coming in, so many moving parts to keep track of. That was his role to make the call of a BP. And with 2020 hindsight, no disrespect to the DPS chief that says in 2020 hindsight it was a complete really wrong call. If I look at a 44 minute timeline of no gunshots, that looks like a barricaded person to me. 100%. Well, and, and the other thing is, from, from the command and control perspective, the other thing that he's doing is, as follow-on units are coming in, other agencies, he, he's coordinating resources. He's making sure people are where they need to be. Right. And, and just making certain that everybody is where they need to be and all the needs are being met. And then, actually, when the feds come in, one of the things that the FBI does for instant command is is they will step in and help out and be that kind of number two go-between to yep. where they feel like almost like, from a commander's perspective, like an adjutant role where... Mm-hmm they're there to handle some of the media stuff to where yeah. that incident commander can focus solely on moving the board, moving the pieces around the chessboard, so to speak. Now that plays a very interesting role because there were officers that were going immediately to the MSM and it feels like there was a lot of miscommunication that people were saying things, they were being inaccurate. They were, they were essentially wanting to get ahead of it. And it feels like, cause I know we discussed this and I don't know how to want, I don't want to get y'all in trouble, but there were higher ups that essentially were kind of giving the press wrong information. Or am I getting that wrong? I don't know if the, I think it's one of those things where I don't want to try to infer that there was malice behind it. I think sometimes people, they have a little bit of information, they run with it. And again, it's like we talked about when we first got this started is, you know, initial reports are almost always wrong Mm -hmm. because I I too was in the same position when I was seeing certain things pop up on social media where, oh, these guys just surrounded the school and held for an hour and didn't do anything while kids are just getting. That's that's the initial stuff that went everywhere. That went viral. Viral went everywhere. And I was like, and I remember talking to some people offline. I didn't go on social media, but I was talking, we were all had our little group text and we were chatting. I was like, if this is accurate, this is probably one of the largest failings mm-hmm. of law enforcement in recent memory. Like it's, it's just right. 100% unacceptable. There's no, ex- you can't really give me any kind of an excuse yeah. that would say, oh yeah, we just surrounded the school and but held a perimeter see, and didn't do anything. Like we talked about before though, in my experiences, I never saw cowardice exist in groups. Onesies and twosies possibly, sure. but in groups of 19 or more officers, that doesn't seem feasible. Now, what they were saying is that originally it was officer cowardice on the ground. Then the situation changed for saying, no, command told them to hold. Yep. Then it's changing again now to where more information is coming out saying, no, they just couldn't get the damn door open. Mm-hmm. Yep. And well, when you have that situation, and as you just described, and you know he's in there with the children, and you know the officers don't know if these kids are still alive or dead, they have no idea. From what we know, there could be a window. We're not sure. And the indicator would be, are there active gunshots? Which is which which an active shooter yep, response. Exactly. And if there's were not. active gunshots, there's active dying going right. on. If there are no active gunshots, 
you're not dealing with an active shooter. But which also does not mean these officers slow down in their mission to breach the door. It just means that we know, okay, that there's still no, there's no more shooting, but we still need to get in there. Yep. So with that being said, we covered the door and eventually what had happened though, is they managed to get the key and open the door. So 1250, according to the timeline, Bortek gets the key. Mm -hmm. And then the next transmission they have in, in the timeline is at 12.58, shooters reported down. Mm-hmm. They made and, breach and they engaged. Yep. So somewhere between 12.50 and 12.58. And the other report that I saw was that he was hiding in a supply closet right. in the room. When they made entry, he popped out and then Indeed. he got shot and got killed. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll say that uh, two things. One is I think we're going to talk about some solutions here in a minute. Some of the solutions that we see in the the lessons learned, because that's the entire purpose here. Right. right. We we aren't coming on your podcast. We're not having this conversation in a public forum because we want to come off as, you know, we always believe law enforcement. Right. Is right. Right. And when they're wrong, when we're wrong, we're wrong. Oh, we need to own it because if we don't owe it, own it. We're never going to learn. And grow. Then the community will never have faith in you. However, we also need to communicate the reasons behind yeah. the way we do things sometimes, how things look bad, mm-hmm. and what are the ways, some of the ways that we can things take away from an incident to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to deal with solutions in a second. Before um, we get to that, though, and I'm not meaning to cut you off, we talked about emotions. Right this is <laughs> yeah. instantly, you're a father, I'm a father. Initial reports were that parents were trying to run in there and get their kids and officers were saying no. Correct. There were reports of a person getting tased, handcuffed, yada, yada. This, for the listener, you need to understand something, and I want you all to explain this, that those officers cannot allow emotions to rule them or the people around them. Now, why did they want to keep those parents from going in there? You have an active scene, both an active violent scene with someone who's actually killing people, or at least at the time Mm -hmm. believed to be killing people. And also it's also a crime scene Mm -hmm. and you can't turn loose 50 or hundred people just running amok inside of a crime scene Mm -hmm. and an active scene with someone who has a weapon because now you're responsible for all their lives. Mm -hmm. And they're going to distract you away from from the priority of the mission. When you may not know if that person is acting alone or evil, right? Okay. So it could be number two. Let's say that we, the three of us here have responded to this scene. We just got in a gunfight with a bad guy. Mm -hmm. We're cops. We know that the information that we get at first is always wrong. Mm -hmm. So these officers that are making reports to the media, they're going off the information they had. And the first information we have is always wrong, even on the ground. Mm -hmm. So we're here now and we're dealing with this. And we have a gentleman come in carrying a shotgun or a pistol or whatever, and he we comes don't down yeah. the hallway. Yeah. Do we have any clue who he is? No. What's the first thing we're going to do? Gonna put down. We're going to engage him. Yeah. Yep. So we are going to be in a position where we just shot a father who is heroically yeah. trying to Save retrieve his child yeah. from an active shooter, mm-hmm. and we just potentially killed him. Yeah. Who looks bad now? Yeah. And is we just added to the tragedy. Mm-hmm. So for everyone's safety, you have to keep the scene as sterile Isolated, as possible. Yeah. Or conversely, the guy makes entry, he gets in there, he engages with the suspect and the suspect kills him. Mm-hmm. We're still wrong. Yep. We're still wrong. Right. Our job's to protect life. Mm-hmm. This incident, at least initially, and there may be more information that comes out, mm-hmm. looked like we did an absolutely terrible job. Mm-hmm. We, law enforcement, Pete and I were not there. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement did an absolutely atrocious job of protecting life. Mm-hmm. And if this had come out to be a coward or Broward type situation, I think we'd be sitting here talking on your podcast about, hey, this is what went wrong. This is how we can fix it. Yeah. Yep. Versus saying, okay, does it look awful? Yeah. And does it break your fucking heart yeah. to have to take down a parent who's trying to change? trying to save their child's life yeah yes but you know what 
sometimes we have to do things that we hate doing. Yeah. And, you know, at the same token, those parents, based upon the optics, because the initial reports from all the parents where they stood around for 40 minutes on the perimeter, didn't even go in. That's not true. There were already 20 officers, dudes in there. There were already 20 dudes yep. in there. And these officers don't want to relay information because here's the thing. And I know this is a twisted way of saying it. This active shooter might not have been acting alone. We don't know right. if maybe somebody no. on the outside the perimeter was feeding this guy information on the inside. You just don't know these things. Or like we said, we call them cops, civilians on the battlefield. You need to minimize that. You cannot have them there because that is potential collateral damage. You're going to get you're going to get killed. And you don't want to see that. So these parents are out there going to the MSM saying they didn't do anything. They put a woman in handcuffs. And yeah, I, it does look bad. Even when I saw it, I was like, ooh. But then at the same token, it's like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. If that's an active shooter in there, you know, I get that that's your parent or that's your child. I understand that. But that's when emotion has to be pushed to the side and you've got to let those officers get in there and do what they need to do. Well, and it's just like, and not to conflate it, but you have to look at it from the perspective of if you go to any other major city and you've got, say, a SWAT call out and a barricaded suspect, mm -hmm. Granted, not an active shooter, but whatever. Dude's barricaded in a house. If you just try to roll into that scene and be like, no, I live here. I know him. That's my cousin. I'm going in. What's going to happen? That happens shit. all You're time, getting put on the ground, mm -hmm. and it's like, no, that, that's not how this works. Or the freaking dude in there might shoot you thinking you're a cop. Precisely. Yeah. But it, it's that whole thing of, I don't want to sound uncompassionate. Right. I get it. Like, I, I couldn't imagine. We were talking about it before we got on this. Is like, if, if it happened in the town that I live in with my kids, like, that would be the most difficult thing yeah. for me because I know that, yes, I would try to go up there, but at the same time, you know, yeah. I, I'm not in that capacity. I don't work with that agency. Yeah. Me just going in, that's that's going to potentially create more problems. You I've got to blindly trust, trust those officers yeah. mm -hmm. and handle business. Mm -hmm. And nothing, I, I couldn't imagine anything being worse than having to stand idly by and hoping that you know, things, things work themselves out. And, uh, but at that same token, it's, you can't just run into a scene. I want to, I want to read this. this, oh, goodness. Is, this the, you got to love this. This is, this is from John Sparks on YouTube. He said, where's your training? You have a spotter with a scope looking through the windows, telling the people law enforcement where the shooter is located. Very simple. Is it, is it that simple gentlemen? It is not that simple. Not that really? Simple. Oh, you know, so this guy on YouTube on social media, he, he's got it wrong. Really? You know where a scope works really well. A scope works really well when there's no walls or windows. You know Are there windows or walls in schools? Really well. When it's thermal, you know where thermal doesn't work well in Texas, South Texas because yeah. everything is hot. Okay, so this is this is what this is what I'm talking yeah. about though. Like this guy here, I don't know who this this douchebag is on YouTube. Probably gonna ban him here in a little bit because he's an yeah, idiot. But it's like you can sit there and you can what if this to death because in your mind you have the perfect scenario. It's like the, almost in the video games, the guy has got the hostage and the hostage is just like a few inches to the right with his head fully exposed well, and, and you're sitting there too. at 100 meters and you're dropping this. Look, dude. It doesn't well, work that real, way. Real talk. Is this live, this guy yeah, this is live. Okay, yeah. real talk. Um, I was in a gunfight in 2013 mm -hmm. and we had to put the suspect down. And one of the things people were saying to us because the suspect was in inside of a vehicle, mm -hmm. um, one of the things people were saying to us in the radio, somebody called the radio and said, hey, do you want me to go to the station and get the thermal scope? And my response was, I'm pretty sure he's still warm, dude. <laughs> like, he's been dead like minutes. The, yeah. it's, he hasn't cooled off. And you're trying yeah. to determine, like, is he still alive? Like, that's not how that stuff works. <laughs> no. So he's just yeah. gonna flash white. I'll give and we're him, not making fun of the situation. It's just these idiots that want to weigh in because they think they know because they play Call of Duty. They watch these spec op movies. They listen to these other people weigh in. Like I've even seen prominent cops on social media that I follow weighing in on this very inaccurately. And I'm kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I understand that you want to hold people accountable when they're wrong. But even if you know, having been on the job many times and you don't have all the information, you should at least be experienced enough to say, wait a minute. 
We need to let the investigation conclude and then we can come to conclusions on our own. But it feels like, and we've seen this, and the thing that aggravates me, and I'm guilty of this myself, is that the MSM does not give a shit. CNN, Fox, none of they don't give a fuck about those kids. They want to have the first article break. They want to have all the clicks, all the ratings, and they don't care about the accuracy of the information being relayed to people. So it's almost as if there's so much damage being done right now and it's, it's not going to be reversed. Well, and the thing of it is, is that you can look because when we were looking for the timeline, I was like, you know what? I'm just for, for grins. I'm going to mm-hmm. Google it and just see what else pops up. Yeah. And just looking at some of the taglines that, that were out there, one of them was, and, it, and it's not inaccurate in the way it's written. It says, Uvalde shooting, police wait 45 minutes mm-hmm. to breach door. Is that inaccurate? No. No, it's not inaccurate. But the way it's written and the way the public's going to perceive that is, Dudes stood around for 45 minutes twiddling their thumbs mm-hmm. before they decided to make entry. It was, I can guarantee you, it wasn't a lax of days. I can't guarantee. Let me right. let me back that up. Based upon but the information that we based have based now. Based upon the information we can ha- we have now, I would say it's highly likely, I'll use some doctrinal language, mm-hmm. highly likely that officers were trying to utilize every drug deal, backdoor channel, and trying to find a way to at least get the resources and the tools needed to make entry into that room mm-hmm. and at least get something taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if officers have been sitting there for 45 minutes, this would be a very different story. Yeah. This would be a very different story. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, something important to, to come away with, I'm going to go negotiate here for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, something to come away with for the parents, the public, I don't know about the mainstream media because they're not really people, but um, <laughs> parents, I agree. Public, I agree. the commenters, the viewers, yeah. what we're collectively going through as a nation is grief. Yeah. There's five stages to grief and you oscillate back and forth. Yeah. Denial, bargaining, Anger, which would be where most everybody most is, is at. and yep. anger needs an outlet, right? Then it's depression and acceptance. Denial, bargaining, anger. So the nation is angry, and anger needs an outlet. Who are we angry at? Are we angry at the shooter? Of course, but he's also dead. Yeah. We can't really do anything effectively with anger. So we're going to be angry at his at his mother. We're going to be angry at his grandmother, and we're going to be angry at the law enforcement officers that responded mm-hmm. that appeared botched. And we're going to be angry at not being able to do anything because one of the ways that we deal with grief when we've all been in very stressful situations where you don't know what to do is you give somebody a job. What is grieving parents and grieving people in our country have to do right now? They don't have an outlet other than social media. Mm-hmm. They don't have a job. There's nothing they can do either in the moment on that scene or an after the fact to try to make the situation better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. This grief that we're experiencing as a country, this is very natural. This is the way our brains process this type of emotion. We are not, as human beings, thinking creatures who happen to feel. Feeling is the primary driver of human behavior. Mm -hmm. We're feeling creatures who happen to be able to think when everything's calm and we've slept and we've eaten and we're not horny. Mm -hmm. Like All of those things interact with our ability or impede our ability to process our emotions, Mm -hmm. stay calm, and rationally deal with what we have. It comes down to the biology of our brain. Yeah. That could be a different podcast that we could do another time. Mm-hmm. We can talk but it comes about the limbic system. Yep. Yep, we can talk about the limbic <laughs> system. Talk about amygdala hijack. Yep. Um, All day. This comes down to the biology of our brain and how we are programmed to deal with stressors mm-hmm. and things that may be attacking us that we have to survive. So coming away from that, I love that people want to be helpful. You know how you can be helpful? You can be helpful by donating your local police agency to the training budget, donating your police agency to the equipment budget, because a knee-jerk reaction of administrators all over the country is going to be to throw a bunch of equipment Mm. at officers with no training to actually go to it. Breach training is very difficult to do, because you know what you got to do on breach training? 
breach. You got to break breach. a yeah. lot of doors. <laughs> right. Breaking doors is expensive. Yep. So there are no door. I'm not gonna say no. There are very few door breaching training facilities. Typically, where that's done is an apartment complex is being shut yep. down. Mm. That's Hospital, under foreclosure. School. Right. Some yep. kind of structure that's being abandoned, and you get to go through there and break and a bunch of shit. Who gets that training? SWAT. 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 Yeah. Is SWAT the first responders to no. an active shooter? The answer, God bless you, SWAT. I've never been on SWAT. God bless you. The answer is no. SWAT is not the first responders. It's that beat cop. It's the beat, beat cop, cop with yep. the least training on the department, mm-hmm. the least equipment on the department, mm-hmm. and the most fear going in them by in there by themselves. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that are shutting down the active shooter. It's the three or four Uvalde officers that went in there, suppressed the suspect mm-hmm. into the classroom at 11.35 to 11.37 a.m. that mm-hmm. stopped the dying. Those are the people that need the training. Those are the people that need the equipment. So you want to help? We need B cops to have more equipment readily available. We need B cops to have more training. Um, we have a local, uh, a local example of how this is accomplished. Now, if you're in the nationwide in Texas, we have the um, independent school district system. So every independent school district, it's called an ISD. Many of them have their own law enforcement agencies. So mm-hmm. in this case, Uvalde, you have Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District Police Department. Those officers are their own separate agencies. It's not Uvalde PD assigned to the schools, it's their own separate agencies. Um, I have a different example of Irving here. So Dallas, right, we have Dallas ISD, whatever, with all these officers that are specially trained to work in schools. Irving, Irving has no ISD PD. You know what Ir- every single Irving beat cop has assigned to them? A master key to the schools. Right. A master key to the schools is assigned to every officer. You put that on every squad car key. You're already giving officers keys to the city in the form of a slammer, but we can't defeat open outward doors. Okay, so real quick, um, this is more information. This one guy said, uh, no, it was an off-duty Border Patrol agent who solved it. Police were too busy deciding what to do. Okay, so that guy was part of Bortac, mm-hmm. and he went in with the rest of Bortac mm-hmm. at 1250 when the entire Bortac team made entry. Mm-hmm. Was he off duty and responded? Yes. Mm-hmm. But it was. Him. But the Still MSM has reported him yep. as being the, the only person. Guy, like, yeah, he went and in there wasn't it. Blazing, like, yeah. And the AP reports it was not him by himself. Jesus Christ, no. it's Jason Bourne. Was, yeah, exactly. Was, uh, and this, uh, and this is the misinformation. Craig, yeah, the SAS guy yeah. that did in Africa that yeah. wolfed it. Like, who, yeah. dude, fucking but, hero. But this is another classic case. This is another classic case of these people that, and you know, he probably got that opinion. From, from the MSM that is hailing, don't get me wrong. Or somebody sharing a meme, because yeah, sh- a lot of these people are getting this shit from memes and everything uh-huh. else. It's like, you can't explain a complex this is proven. situation right. with a picture and 15 words. Like, it, it just doesn't work. And this has been proven that he did not go in there by himself. Correct. But yeah. this is being perpetuated through MSM, through these other outlets, through social media. And now this guy in the comments thinks he knows best and say, no, police fucked up. The well, Border Patrol agent's a hero. And I'm not saying he's, he's not, not. He but he was yeah. not 100%. acting alone. It was not just him. No man goes into a room by himself that's that's a fool's errand you don't do that no. so One when you talked about Bortec, like they were all converged on mm. the scene I think it just so happened they made breach yep i think they had four i think it was four agents is what i've seen mm. that might be different right but and i'm not trying to take away from the officers but it's no. like you at least need to get your facts correct because right. that is not accurate and again it's, it's understanding lanes and whatever and and where everybody kind of falls into it so again the 19 that were in there, I'm assuming, I'm making mm-hmm. an assumption here, but it's a it's yeah. calculate more like a calculated yeah. guess, if you will. But it's probably uh, ISDPD, local PD, probably some sheriff's right. office, state patrol, probably yeah. probably state troopers. Okay, so mm-hmm. you got essentially beat cops there. Again, like what Dan was just talking about, they don't have a lot of specialized training. They don't have a lot of entry training, if any at all. 
and they're waiting for the specialist to show up. They're That's Bortac. They're, they're not, not going to have, have the equipment. Right. Any entry tools or, or ballistic shields. Yep. Mm-hmm. And more than likely, the last training they got was yeah. probably when they did some active shooter training or when they yeah. were in the academy. They yeah. teach you how to kind of like in basic training where it's like, mm-hmm. cool, you're running through a shoot house. They learn how to go in and, mm-hmm. and punch their corners yeah. and move in. I just have but, one question for these these expert keyboard warriors in the chat. It's like, you know, my, my family are cops. None of them would have stood around while kids were dying. Ask your family cops this. How do you breach a metal door without the proper equipment? How are you getting in there? I challenge you. Yep. Well, again, again, these are these are questions no one wants to ask. This right. is armchair. This is what social media has created. And that's how stupid these people are. It's like you want to sit there and say, what a coulda, shoulda. You weren't there. You didn't see the door. It's not like these officers were standing around just kind of like, well, smoke them if you got them. It's like we cannot make breach. We don't have the materials until they finally got the key. But again, it was, it's just people don't want to listen. They want to be angry. Officers, but those officers in that hallway are going to be going through emotionally. Yeah. Oh, God. Guys, I, I've, yeah. I've been there. You yeah. know what they're doing inside emotionally? They're dying. Yeah. They're emotionally dying. Right. They know there's kids in that room. Mm-hmm. They want to go in that room. Mm-hmm. They want to stop this. You know how angry they are? How much they're saying, Jesus. this is fucking stupid. Let's go in and kill them. Yeah. They want to go in. Yeah. I've been You're telling me like 19 officers were all cowards together. That does not make sense. Like when that you is no. Physically can't go in. Yeah. You know, the other thing in addition to anger helplessness yep. because we know Feeling hey, this is yeah. our role this is what we're supposed it's to like do literally our job this is yeah. the this is yeah. our time to go yeah and we can't because of a stupid door there's a stupid problem yeah. how can we not find a key where's a key where's the key? which the Somebody person who had the key was probably the janitor, yeah. get a key yeah, whoever had the key was probably somewhere in the perimeter, somewhere in the perimeter. scared and they had to <laughs> track that down and that's like who has this key who's so-and-so who had it last well again it's something that dan brought up a minute ago before someone else jumps in the comments is, I stopped reading comments. Oh, no, it's just, you got a lot fine, of idiots I mean, in there. It's mainly on YouTube. Because yeah. I think it's one of the biggest misnomers when people hear this. Because, again, it usually comes down to police shootings where it's like in fear for your life. So let's talk about the difference between fear and being afraid. Like fear is natural. Fear is normal. It yeah. is not a natural act to walk up to a door that you know there's an armed assailant behind and go in. There's a certain level of fear mm-hmm. that is associated with that. Right. Anybody who says that there is no fear when they're walking up to something like that, knowingly walking to something like that, is either lying, crazy, or stupid. Mm-hmm. It's one of the three. There is no, there is no if, ands, or buts about that. You're lying, crazy, or stupid if you say there was no fear, even in the back of your mind, even for a split second of like, oh shit, I'm walking into something, I don't know what the hell's gonna be on the other side of that door. Now, that being said, there's a difference between fear and being afraid. Right. Fear is having that natural mm-hmm. response and pushing through it. Right. Being afraid means, yeah, you're Corporal Upham sitting in the stairwell rocking and crying and yeah. refusing to go. Mm-hmm. There was fear. I, I haven't seen any reports of someone just kind of hiding out right. and, and trying to find a way to shirk their duties and not get yeah. in there. So before someone jumps in the comments, say, well, if these cops are so fearful or afraid, they shouldn't be cops or they shouldn't be doing the job. Mm-hmm. No, fear is natural. Fear is normal. Yeah. Being afraid is a different, different animal. And then, yes, those people typically get weeded out if yeah. there's something where there's documented and shown cowardice and consistently yeah. like they, there's a way that they can get moved out of agencies to where they get to go seek success elsewhere mm-hmm. or they self-select which they is what happens in yep. a lot of agencies that don't necessarily weed them out yep. they self-select out you know how they self-select out they don't go on the call or they find a way to not be the first or yeah. they find a way out of patrol into some cushy community affairs or community service oriented yeah. position not that they're not needed right <laughs> Right. <laughs> Patrol is the background bone of policing. I'm just going to say it that. is true. Um, it is true. So, you know, th- these people self-select out. Mm. And when you go to the hot call, you go to the active shooter. Yeah. You look around and it's going to be the, the same, same group of guys, yeah. the same group of women yep. that go to these things repeatedly. And when you work at your own agency, you know who those people are. Right. And you also know that when a certain somebody's elements assigned to the shooting, the active shooter 
the cutting, the stats, you know, something that just happened that's going to be pretty dynamic and scary, mm-hmm. and you see their element number on there, you also know that you're going to get their way before they are, yep. even if you're closer. Right. Because they, again, they self-select right. out. Is that cowardice? Can be. <clears throat> is it simple human fear? Can be. And is it the person not possessing the natural inclination or right. capacity to be able to that type of stress? Yeah. Yet they find themselves successful in other law enforcement endeavors, mm-hmm. potentially. Yeah. Also, yes. But just not patrol. Maybe not Maybe no. not top, that type of patrol. Well, I think uh, moving forward, a way that we can prevent this from ever happening again is it's very simplistic. We just take the YouTube armchair quarterbacks oh, and we just call them next time and say, hey, oh. you know what? You know what you're doing because, I mean, apparently everything that you've said, you know, you, you clearly can use the scope. You can use the we, thermal. We, well, we could even roll it back to like it was back in the 70s. You know, you get some of the, talk to some of those old heads back mm-hmm. in the day when they showed up for their first cop job. They literally showed up. There was no train. They just chucked them keys and said, cool, see you at seven when I show back mm-hmm. up. So, yeah. I mean, I just say we start doing that. Like they, just, they just show up to the PD and like, hey, you know what, dude? Badge gun, keys to a vehicle. Go to town. Yeah. Go stop crime. Has, You've got it all squared the, away. Has the Biden administration engaged uh, TikTok influencers <laughs> on how to solve this? This is because, true. Because I think that, that was... Have we changed? Have we changed? Yeah. They had, they, had, they had Ukraine figured out. Yeah. We're still, yeah, we're still focused out. on Ukraine right now. Yeah, we're okay, not going to talk yeah. about inflation or anything like that. No, no, but, no. no, uh, no. Yeah. no. I mean, I'm actually... I, I haven't seen the Biden administration really... Um, say anything in regards to the police officers and anything like that. It's mainly been gun control, gun control stuff yep. like, but I find that really weird because I figured Biden would be chiming in or the administration would be chiming in on these officers. So why do you think that is? Like if there was a massive screw up, why do you think, because here's the reason I'm the comparison or the metric that I'm using to measure this by is he was very quick to demonize border con, border patrol mm-hmm. when supposedly they utilizing the whip, which yeah. they, they showed proven not to, and yeah. they didn't apologize. So do you think Biden, the Biden administration learned their lesson on that when they're saying like, let's withhold judgment before we say anything? I would be hopeful, mm-hmm. but I don't anticipate that being the case. I can tell you what the Biden administration is doing mm-hmm. Um, is having a Justice Department inquiry Mm -hmm. and creating a critical incident after action report. Mm -hmm. This is a move that at least I support personally and professionally. Now describe that. that. What is that per se? So the FBI, the FBI is flawed, Mm -hmm. right? Um, There's (laughs) a lot of phenomenal (laughs) people in the FBI. There's a few. Some of them myself. There's phenomenal people in the FBI. Mm And what those agents want is they, um, the ones that work in the critical incident um, after action reports, is they want to debrief, thoroughly investigate, debrief, and see what happened, break it down step by step, mm-hmm. minute by minute, right. so that we can unpack it and we can dispassionately and objectively look at an incident and learn from it and then disseminate those lessons to law enforcement officers all across the country so that the next time it happens, because it will happen. Again, oh, well, yeah. right? yeah. unfortunately, it's yeah. going yeah. to happen again. There will be another mass shooting. Yeah. There will be another. There Las actually Vegas was one. Incident. I'm sorry. The breaking news was there was another one where I think 10 people were wounded. Um, I forget where it was exactly. I saw it earlier. I haven't looked at it since then, but apparently there was another one. That's why I texted you to asking you the definition by the police shooting. for yeah. mass shooting definition, because now those are the dog whistles and the buzzwords mm-hmm. in the press yeah. is another mass shooting. Well, that involves three or four more people. Well, that's where that's where we were talking about it was, yeah, it's, I think the FBI standard, again, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's going to be three, I think it's three or more in the same incident that were injured by gunfire. Right. The thing that people conflate a lot is they assume mass shooting means active shooter. Right. What it doesn't mean, what it, they don't understand is some of those, a lot of those mass shootings, the vast majority of them are, hey, five dope, dope dealers decided to shoot at each other. Mm-hmm. Three of them got shot. Now it's a mass, mass shooting. shooting. Right. And it's one of those things where they say that intentionally to get them to associate with Parkland for words, Uvalde, words for matter. Columbine. Yes. Words and that's selection matters. And that's why I hate to say this, but it feels like the political bias is creeping its way in there through this rhetoric that main civilian, basic civilians don't understand. And it's not their fault. Yeah, no. It's just that they, the definitions enforced 
by these agencies, civilians don't understand. Well, Even to, I to, didn't either. To a point, I'll back you up on that one real quick. Is to an extent, it is their fault as far as general civilians because what I say, what I say, what I mean when I say that is, everybody has one of these in their hand. True. You literally have millions of websites, the Library of Congress at your fingertips. There's nothing that you can't find typically mm -hmm. on this magic little device, but people choose not to because again, we're too busy. Yeah. I'm gonna read a headline, mm -hmm. I'm gonna click on a soundbite yeah. or a 15 minute little clip that's mm -hmm. on my Facebook feed or my Instagram feed of someone you know, educating me on whatever, yeah. but they don't take the time to actually dig into something and look and actually read the nuts and bolts of, of what went on. Right. You know, when people say studies show, you can say, well, what studies? And then click on the link and find the study that they're actually referencing and then actually read and find mm -hmm. out. Or whatever the incident may be, you can always dig and find more information. And the fact that all of us have access to high-speed internet for the most part on our phones, yeah. you can absolutely find that out. True. It's a matter of you taking the extra 10 or 15 minutes to well, read up and learn some things. It's and also I, asking the right question. It's kind of like, sure. okay, so what is mass shooting? Because yep. instantly we would think mass shooting is... Active shooter. Exactly. Parkland, it's Columbine, Parkland, Vegas. I'll even say that earlier in this interview, I said I responded to multiple mass shootings using the FBI standard guideline mm -hmm. for what a mass shooting is. Mm -hmm. Because in my experience, the mass shootings that I've responded to, it's a club full of people, yeah. mm -hmm. a gangbanger who beefs with another gangbanger outside, they get in a gunfight mm -hmm. and everybody gets shot by the two guys shooting at each other. Mm -hmm. So Mass you have shooting. a bunch of people that are down, a bunch of victims. Many of the times the wounds are non-fatable. Um, when people are shot at, getting shot at and they're scared, they typically shoot down. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of feet wounds, a lot of leg wounds, things like that. And you show up, it's mass chaos. There's people everywhere, nobody's dead. Mm. Right, but you have multiple different victims, which mm. makes that a mass shooting. Mm. I utilize that definition. Yeah, that's the majority of mass shooting. So when you see on CNN, mm -hmm. when you see on uh, the mainstream media that there's been X number of mass shootings in the United States since January or since COVID or since Trump said whatever yeah. that incited people to go out and shoot other people, they're using the mass shooting tagline of three to four or more people that have been wounded mm -hmm. by gunfire mm -hmm. in one incident. I'm gonna add one more thing. When people are wounded by gunfire, it can be one bullet that, that wounds multiple people. Because mm -hmm. you may have pass-through, you may have shrapnel, where the round hit the ground, the ground kicked up gravel or fragments of mm -hmm. the bullet that was discharged in their direction. Mm -hmm. They take grazing wounds, right? Grazing wounds that are non-life-threatening. Mm -hmm. That is not, shouldn't be to minimize them, but right. it's it's important context right. to to bring to the conversation of what is a mass shooting? Is this mass shooting epidemic that people are talking about? Is it actually as bad as they're saying? And the more education that you can bring to your voice in this type of conversation with others, the more education you can bring to your social media comments, the more experience you can have, the more well-reasoned, the more, uh, the better solutions we're gonna be able to come to as a nation to solve some of these problems. Yeah. Because guys, emotion gets in our way of this mm -hmm. conversation. We're grieving, we're angry, yeah. we want somebody to be angry at, and that anger makes us point fingers rather than opening, offering open hands. Yeah, sometimes shitty situations occur and everybody can do everything right and there's just no way to prevent it from happening. Or, you know, you gotta deal with the hand that you're dealt. But well, I mean, that, one, of the, one of the things that I saw was them talking about how, you know, moving towards some kind of ban, confiscation, yeah. things like that. And it's it, instantly Justin Trudeau comes out in Canada. Now yeah, he's talking Canada. about the bans there. And yeah, and the same thing happened in New Zealand after the mosque shooting. They yeah. banned yep. AR-15s in the entire country. Mm -hmm. But the thing of it is, is that 
let's just take a quick second and unpack that. Mm-hmm. As well-meaning as it is, let's take the Second Amendment out. Let's just say, okay, whatever, they can wave a wand and boom, tomorrow they did what Canada did and all AR-15s except for law enforcement military are now illegal, turn them all in. And if you don't turn them in by this date, you know, now you're in violation of law. Mm-hmm. Do they understand what the logistics of that looks like? Right. Do they understand what it, that's going to do to the country? Mm-hmm. Like uh, that, that could bring about something. That could bring about serious. something pretty, pretty yeah. serious. And I don't know how many officers would number one go through with that. But number two, it's like just looking at from a logistical standpoint. Like there's what 350, 360 million guns. Yeah, in America. precisely. And in, in circulation, I knew it was I knew it was over 300 million. It's like good mm-hmm. luck rounding that up with mm-hmm. what 750,000 law enforcement officers between local, state, and federal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, the math just it doesn't jive. And it's like we not don't work. have other things to do at the time. Precisely. Let me ask you something, Dan. You you work a lot of inner city things. Mm-hmm. How many? Percentile, give me a guesstimate. How many times have you encountered a suspect with an AR-15 versus a pistol? It's increasing, that's what I'll say. It is increasing. Um, when I started my career, the answer would have been almost never. It was, a, it, was a, it was a Tech 9 or it was some type of high point, shitty handgun type situation. Um, when you the, say increasing, can you give me a percentile? Because people can usually draw conclusions on that and go which direction. So we're saying increasing by 10%, 20%, 100%. Like, what are you saying? So I'm going to caveat this answer. I'm going to say that what I do now, my present role, is I, f- I focus entirely on violent offenses, mm-hmm. violent felony offenses. So I am not a beat cop making a traffic stop for speeding. Okay. Everything that I do is... You have a warrant for aggravated assault, deadly weapon, aggravated sexual assault, aggravated robbery, or murder, and I'm looking for you and want to encounter you, you end up having weapons. So I want to caveat that and say my my current experience level the last several years is in a very narrow field of violent repeat offenders, and I will say that probably... 30% 30% of the people that we encounter are actively armed at the time of apprehension and arrest. And of that 30%, maybe a good half or just under are in possession of AR-15s or uh, an AK-47 platform. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting to hear that because, again, the spin out there with the Biden administration is everyone's got an AR-15. It's like the AR-15 platform is the most demonized weapon system now but it's just like we don't look at handgun casualties, which far surpass rifles. Those do far surpass no. rifles. Far no, surpass. No. But it's it's just that Democrats, or I shouldn't well, in general, that their solution, their fix is to ban something. They're banning the wrong weapon. They're banning, they're attempting to ban the weapon that is spotlighted in the news and social media. But if you're looking at this statistically, and we're going by casualty numbers, it should not be the rifle. It should be the handguns. Am I wrong on that? I don't disagree no. with you. And, okay. and I'm not saying it's justified. As as I'm just saying. Reducing weapon. So yes. it, just, it just goes to prove, though, it's not about actually saving lives. It's about following the narrative and going with what the MSM is saying. And it's pleasing the Roman mob via social media. If well, we actually cared about saving lives and we did want to push forward with a, some kind of ban, it's not going to be AR-15s. They're not the most casualty producing weapon out there right now. It's, well, and it's the handguns. thing is, is and I understand. I can understand. Like, I try to understand. And, you know, we've had these conversations before where it's, you know, trying to play devil's advocate and trying to understand yeah. the other side. Like, I can understand because I've had these conversations with where I work when they see our officers are issued rifles and, and different things like that. I say, well, why do you need that? Why do you need that? It's like, well, because bad guys have them too. And, yeah. you know, bad stuff sometimes happens. So you don't want to go in under, under prepared for that. And I said, I understand. 
this looks scary. Right. Every image you've had, if you've never had any military law enforcement experience, you've never really been around firearms before, I get it. You're used to seeing in video games yeah. and you're used to seeing on the media. Souped you know, up, Gucci gear, Gucci scopes, gear, bells, whatever. whistles. Yeah. And I mean, you see like the newsreels coming Throw in. wood stock on it though and it's not as scary. Oh no, absolutely. And yeah. again, there's there's conversion kits out there for Ruger 22s where you can, yeah. boom, you can take a wooden hunting rifle, yeah. slap a conversion kit on it mm -hmm. for a couple hundred bucks and all of a sudden it looks Pull just a like an AR. sexy ass banana mag on it. It's exactly. like, oh my God, the boom, rice fields are talking, baby. Yeah. Precisely. But, it, and it's like, so I, I've had those conversations with people. It's like, I understand. It looks scary. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. But this is not some super souped up high powered rifle. There are things that you deem as hunting rifles that will far and away outperform this thing as far as knockdown so, power, casualty, wait, and all that good stuff. So you're telling me that we don't need an AR-15 to hunt deer? I mean, you can you can down a deer with an AR-15. <laughs> That's what Biden yeah. was saying. Is like we're not. Man. Yeah, he was just yeah. kind of like you know we don't on, need AR-15s for <laughs> yeah. hunting deer. It's like well they're not predominantly used to hunt deer. Nah, it's like you know. buddy, a buddy of mine used to that was his main thing he would really? go out with. Yeah, I just I couldn't yeah. do that. 308. Anyway, right behind the ear down. Didn't yeah. dead of blood trail deer anymore. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you for coming on the podcast today. I'm sure going to have you back. And again, all opinions we reserve the right to change our mind 100%. with the presentation of new information. If things change, the investigation comes out. Um, what I would like to do is just get back with y'all once that investigation does come out, whether it be a month, two, three months, and we sit back down and say, okay, these are what the, these are the facts that were presented. Does this change any of our opinions moving forward? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. So I want to say thank you for both for coming on. I know y'all are busy. You came from work. You know, well, no. You're on. Yeah, you're on. I'm, I'm on leave. <laughs> Hence the beard. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. That ends it for today. We want to say thank you for tuning in. And uh, to all the YouTube keyboard warriors, I hope next time this happens, may you're first on scene and then you can use those thermal scopes and you can get that spotter on the roof. And man, you can just, you can take that thousand meter shot and get a straight head shot and yeah, through the brick wall and you're good to go. Thank so. you for your service. Man, thank Call you for, Duty's cool. 